The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. Two weeks ago, uh, we, we've, been working our, well, we've been working our way through Luke for quite a while, uh, but two weeks ago we looked at a parable, and the parable was on the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? They went up to the temple to pray, and the Pharisee was pretty flowery in his language and thanking God that he's not like the rest of the pond scum on the earth, that he himself is pretty amazing, and that there's a tax collector who goes, and, and he realizes, let's say, his his stance before a holy God. And he stays in the back, he pounds his chest, and he asks for mercy, right? And Jesus flips the script. I mean, we've become so comfortable with it. Of course, it's the tax collector that goes home justified. But he flips the script and he says, I'm telling you, this man who you're all looking down upon, he goes home justified, meaning righteous in my sight, not the other. And now he's working through real-life scenarios, and essentially just highlighting and revealing more of what that parable taught. So last week, if you remember, then what we did is we, we looked at uh, a rich man, a rich young ruler who, by all accounts, this guy's doing really well in life, not just financially, but in his own mind. I mean, Jesus throws out some commands, and he's like, oh yeah, since I was a kid, I've obeyed all of those. And Jesus is like, okay, well, there's one thing you do lack. How about this? Sell or give away all that you have, follow me, and you'll have real life. And what we read was that this, this man walks away sad. And we, we, we come to the conclusion, and it's because the text brought us there, is because his riches had a very tight hold on him, and he was unwilling to give it up. Which goes back to the text where Jesus says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And, and, and we, we talked about what does it mean to be like a child, not childish. That's not Christianity. It doesn't mean be childish. It doesn't mean to be, oh, so silly. You know, childlike, very needy, very helpless. I desperately need King Jesus to do something in my place on my behalf for me to enter. It's not Jesus and. And the rich young ruler wanted Jesus and. I'll take, I need help. I got you, but I'm, I'm bringing my U-Haul stuff with me. And Jesus is like, nope, nope. You have to let it go. And, and he would not. He would not let it go. Well, today we're going to see a blind man who can see, which is interesting if you think about it, right? Before we get there, though, Jesus is actually going to answer the question of how the impossible happens. How does a camel get through the eye of a needle, right? Well, the answer is it can't. It, it literally cannot, right? Unless God does a miracle. And how does he do that? The miracle, by the way, is not the camel going through the eye of the needle. The miracle is how do you get sinners into the presence of a holy God? How does that happen? And, and Jesus, and that's exactly where we pick up today, answers the question in, in Luke 18, 31 through 34. So let's look at that first. It says, in taking the 12, so now he's, he's, remember, what's he got? He's got his 12, he's got many disciples around him, he's got crowds around him, and some people in that crowd, they're still trying to figure out Jesus. Many of the people in that crowd hate Jesus, and so there's a mixture. But now he takes his 12, and he says this to them. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. 
And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Side note, the apostles in that moment, they're thinking this, Messiah is setting up kingdom. He's gone to Israel, he's gone to Jerusalem, and he is going to take over all that's happening with the the Romans just ruling and reigning and tyranny. And he's going to bring in the, the realm of King David only better. That's what they hear when they hear that. That's not what Jesus is saying. For he will be delivered, he's talking about himself, over to the Gentiles. And he will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. This, he, this is like the seventh time he's talked about this in the Gospel of Luke. It's, it's the passion, right? The cross. But this is the first time he adds this. And on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. All right, let, let's look at this. It's, it's pretty simple. Jesus was fulfilling, simple in understanding, complex in what he's actually saying. Jesus will fulfill everything that the prophets have said. Well, they've said a lot, right? As a church, we're reading through the Old Testament this year, many of us. There's like 30 of us going through it, and I'm very thankful for that. We are not even through Genesis, and there's a lot that's already been prophesied. That and the rest of the Old Testament, he's saying, I've come to fulfill all. That's quite a mission. Particularly, though, with suffering, his death, and his resurrection, right? The cross is the central piece of of the gospel narrative. And this is important that we get this, which is, by the way, your first point. I threw you a curveball today. We have two. I normally have one. Because there's, there's, there's so many points in, in, a, in a text, but what's the main one I want you to get at? But today there's two. And the first one is the whole Bible is about Jesus and centered on the cross. And I just know so many of you, you're like, yes, we got it, right? Uh, understood it, have heard it, have read it. But, but have we really? See, Jesus summarized the purpose of his earthly ministry in saying that he is going to fulfill all that has been said and prophesied. The Old Testament laws, he's going to do it. He's going to obey everything perfectly. So practically speaking, as a church and as a people of God, what this means is that you and I have not rightly understood or can even rightly teach the Word of God unless we understand that everything centers on the person and work of Jesus Christ, period. And the truth that's being revealed right? The, the Bible has one ultimate plan, one ultimate plot, one ultimate champion, one ultimate king, and his name is Jesus Christ. Now, and this is why, by the way, Jesus is so central, so ultimate, so unequaled, and every, man, blood-stained page of the Bible screams about Jesus. Why does this matter? Well, because Jesus came primarily to earth, fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life in our place, died a substitutionary death that we deserve to die as the Lamb of God, taking away the sin of the world, taking away God's wrath from us that we deserve so that we can have life with God, which Jesus has experienced eternally because he's fully God. This is, this is why he has come, so that we might live with God. So that we might live like his children, 
Prior to salvation, you and I do not live like God's children. We live like the children we really are, children of wrath. We have a different spiritual daddy. His name was Satan. You might be like, whoa, I thought we were all God's children. No, you're all made in God's image. That's wildly different than being adopted into the family of God and being God's children. A miracle has to take place in order for that to happen. Jesus is saying, I'm performing the miracle right now before you. And they think Jesus is coming to set up the kingdom here and now. Well, kind of, but not completely. Jesus was, Jesus was everything Adam failed to be. Jesus, man, he's everything Israel failed to be. As we read through the Old Testament, all you're going to see is Israel is a failure. Israel is a failure. God is great, right? I mean, it's, it's not much more complicated than that. There's a lot more going on, but he's everything we failed to be. Oh, how many times we like to blame Adam and Israel, but we've fallen short. This world has fallen short. In every way that we have fallen short and failed, Jesus has won. Jesus has succeeded. And this is how people with no righteousness, that's us, right, on their own, right, we have no ability to be saved. We cannot add good works because our good works, even if they are good indeed apart from God, are tainted and infested by our own meddled up sinful heart. But Jesus, by virtue of taking our place, gives us his righteousness. That's everything he's been teaching over the last two weeks, and I would say the whole Bible. This is why if we hope to properly handle the Word of God and the stories in the Bible, you and I must fully grasp that Jesus is the centerpiece of it all. The story from Genesis to Revelation, though it's recorded for you, for me, listen, this is not popular, it's not primarily about you. Now, you might not think that that's good news, but I've got to tell you, it's great news. It's great news it's that it's all about Jesus Christ, right? Because the best thing that can happen for you and I is that we decrease and that Jesus would increase. That's where peace and life is found. And that cannot happen apart from you being dethroned, me being dethroned, and Jesus ruling and reigning in our lives and in our minds. See, contrary to popular belief, the Bible is not just some collection of ethical principles, right? There's lots of people that would embrace the Bible if that's all it said, right? Um, it's, it's not about moral platitudes. It's not about uh, abstract life lessons. Oh, but how many times you might go to a church and that's all you hear about? All you hear about is do better, try harder. You're not doing it right. Come next week, try again. And sadly, it's too common for churches with very, let's call them hipster pastors with skinny jeans. Now, you might think, well, yours is a little tight. That's because it's winter, and I'm eating. I'm eating pretty freely right now. Summer's coming. I'll either buy new jeans or I'll lose some weight. But you can go to this, this church, and they not speak of Jesus Christ. Or if they do, it's, it's very vague. I'm talking Jesus Christ substitute for sinners. Lamb of God who's taken away the sin of the world. The blood of Jesus Christ is necessary for anyone to be saved and is sufficient for you. Oh, you could go many Sundays and not hear that, which, which is a damnable tragedy. I, I just can't get over that many people continue to go and continue to give money towards whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. Um, I, quick story. 
I, I went, we, we go on vacation once a year. Um, and generally when we go, uh, we try to find a church that, that I'm excited about. Generally, it's a church plant. I love church plants. They're always messy, and there's lots of good things happening there, generally speaking. We're in North Carolina. I find one. I listen to some sermons, and I'm like, okay, there wasn't a lot of great options, but we go to this one, and it's my wife and my daughter and I, and we're there, and the music's awesome and the whatever. And then this young man gets up there, and he's got this couch up on the stage, and he sits down on the couch, and he just starts to talk. It's like a TED Talk. And I was really uncomfortable, but I stayed, right? And when we were done, I'm not going to talk poorly any more than I already have. When we were done, I look at my daughter, who at that time, I don't know, she's maybe 10, 11 years old. I said, what did you think? She goes, oh, I love this. What did you love about it? She's telling me all the things she loved about it. I said, what did you think of the sermon? She goes, well, it was different. I said, what was different about it? She goes, there was just no Jesus and no cross. And I said, yeah, that's true i got to tell you, crossless Christianity is very popular. But this isn't a new problem. This is not a new problem. Um, there's a guy named Shelby Spong, John Shelby Spong, who was a, a bishop of the Episcopal Church. And here's what he once said. He said, the view of the cross as a sacrifice for the sins of the world is a barbarian idea based on primitive concepts of God and must be dismissed. He was the head of the Episcopal Church. He's now dead. God have mercy on his soul. I don't know where he's at. That's between him and the Lord. But I'm telling you right now, if you don't get the cross, if something didn't happen between that quote and him going to see Jesus, my guess is he's not with the Lord. This is the leader of the church. The reason I say it's not a new phenomenon is because there's a man named Charles Spurgeon. You may have heard of him. And he was a preacher. And, and here's what he would often say. He would say this in many different ways. But here's a quote. And this guy was around mid to late 1800s. He said, the motto of all true servants of God must be. Ready? Here's the motto. We preach Christ and him crucified. A sermon without Christ is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it. No Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home. And never preach again until you have something worth preaching. I say that to any young man who wants to preach at this church. If, if you got no cross and no Jesus in your sermon, I just don't know what you're doing. Now, now why do I make mention of this? Because if we don't continually put Jesus up in front of you and think about the sacrifice that he willingly, and we know from Hebrews, joyfully laid down his life for you. We will, we will just so drift away from that message. It's so easy to do. I, I can see it all the time. And Jesus, like I said, this is the seventh time he's mentioned it in the gospel narrative of Luke. Since chapter 9. We're in chapter 18. So it's a big deal. It's the whole deal. It's the whole deal. Because with no cross, you have no God. You have no life with God. You have no righteousness. You have no forgiveness of sins. You, why would you even worship? And you can't. You can't properly worship a holy God as a sinful human being, which is why he had to die. He did not die because you and I were lovable. He died to make us lovable. He died to make us holy. That happens by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the central piece of all of it is the cross and the resurrection. Period. Why do I say that? Because you, if you don't get that, you won't understand everything that's about to fold out from this mercy of, of a blind man calling out for it. Okay? So, 
That's really introduction. Now let's get to it. 1835 through 37. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, it's so good if you can imagine this moment, right? Jesus is approaching Jericho, which is about, let's say, 15 miles away northeast of Jerusalem, right? A few miles west of the Jordan River. So he's, he's heading towards Jerusalem, but along the way, he's doing quite a bit of, of ministry, right? And he's accompanied by a large crowd, which we can imagine. We've been talking about that throughout his ministry. And, and no doubt, they're traveling right now for one reason, Passover, it's a high holiday, and, and not everybody understands what's about to happen because they can't see it. We just read that. But this place would be hopping with sounds of life. There would be tons of, of people pilgrimaging, making their way towards the temple so they could worship during Passover. And so now imagine, just for a moment, life for this blind man, Bartimaeus. I say his name because we know his name from Mark's gospel, um, which, by the way, I don't think we have anyone here who's blind, but I will tell you this, I, I get the privilege of working with a ministry called Johnny and Friends, and one of the ways that they help you minister is try to help you understand the situation of the people that you're caring for. So they give you these, I'm going to call them goggles, but literally they, they block out every ounce of light. And for half a day, you spend time with these goggles on and someone walking you around and communicating to you so that you can know how poorly people do this because they're going to give you someone who's blind and they're going to want you to be that communicator and how many things we assume and how many times I ran into things and almost broke my leg and felt like I was going to die. It will help you grow in compassion towards the people that you are about to interact with. So side note, that, that's over. But here's a man who suffering from blindness, and because of that, he's unable to work. Chances are really good. He's unable to work. His, his condition has forced him to now beg, to beg in order to sustain life. And so there he is. And, and think about it. There's no social security, right? There's, there's no disability, no unemployment. So this, this area, let's call it prime real estate for begging, you got a bunch of worshipers heading to the temple, and their God is generous, and, and they're heading there, and they're going to give their offerings. So he's like, I need, and it says he's, I need money, I need, I need help, right? But picture him there. Here's the commotion, and what's happening in the moment, and someone says, oh, there's this Jesus from Nazareth. He's passing by. Now, now listen to what this man says. 38 and 39, he says, and he cries out, right? Oh, capture that. He doesn't be like, oh, excuse me, <clears throat> Jesus. Hey, yo, look at me. No, he cries out. What does he cry out? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me, right? I'm not doing it justice. I'm not trying to blow out your eardrums. This would be a loud cry, this is, I got one shot. I've heard about this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who, by the way, he's calling Jesus son of David. How does he make that connection? It just has to be revelation from God. There's no other answer to that, to that question that I can think of. He takes, this is Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, son of David. He doesn't say Jesus from Nazareth, son of David. He says, have mercy on me. 
You might not think that's a big deal. That's because you probably don't know your Old Testament. The son of David, it's a huge deal for the simple fact that this is the first time in Luke's gospel that that phrase has been used. And it's used by a blind beggar who can't see, but he can see better than everyone there, including the 12 that have been hanging out with him. He's like, have mercy on me. Help me. It's a title that's loaded with meaning. David was the great king of Israel in the Old Testament. And to call Jesus the son of David was to express that this is Messiah. This is the chosen one. This is the one that all our Old Testament, which they called Bible, Scripture, has spoke of. This is the one. Oh, and what a great day it would have been and would be for this man. But as he cries out, notice the people in the front. They rebuke him. They tell him to shut up. Like, hey, you're causing a commotion. You're, you're causing a little disruption to our worship service now. <laughs> right? Boy, this is fitting to what we were just talking about. Like, just get used to interruption. They didn't like the interruption. Shut up. We're tired of hearing you. Okay, blind beggar, we hear you. Shut up. Our guy's busy. He's a pretty busy fella, right? So you're making a scene. Could you pipe down, boss? You don't matter. That's what they're saying. You don't matter to anybody, especially to Jesus. Do you know how famous this guy is? Look how many people he's got with him. Blind Bart isn't having it, though. (laughs) He just cries out all the more. Son of David! Oh, you ever been that desperate? I don't know if I have. I, I, I would say probably not. But this man's cries would actually make a Taylor Swift fan at a concert probably seem pretty relaxed. Not in hysterics. I don't picture him in hysterics, but in absolute desperation. In volume, right? This man may suffer from physical blindness, but he can see spiritually so well. Oh, he can see so well. The blind has sight. The man's coming to Jesus like a small child, and he's saying, have mercy on me. Remember the tax collector? Have mercy on me. Now you have a blind beggar. Have mercy on me. And Jesus is trying to get it through their head and our head and heart. The only way to come in is to say, have mercy on me. Not, I got life mostly figured out. I think I'm 70% of the way. Could you finish the 30? He's saying, no, no, no have mercy. Don't miss the contrast of those who have physical sight but are spiritually blind like the rich young ruler, right? They're blinded by his riches. Someone once bluntly asked Helen Keller, who was blind and deaf, isn't it terrible to be blind? All right, that was the question to which she responded. She was very snappy. Better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing right? Can you see? That really is the question. Can you see Jesus as your treasure? Or is he just an addition to your life? You just add him into what you do throughout the week, maybe, depending, if it fits, right? If it fits my schedule, right? Um, I'm talking to you. Has the gospel lost its luster for you? I know this story. Jesus' perfect life, Jesus died, Jesus resurrected triumphantly, and uh, now we're his. And we're just all waiting around until we die or he comes back and we'll go be with him. I I mean, 
does Jesus move your heart and your mind to worship? Or has sin caused you to be, let's say, growing some spiritual cataracts? By the way, sin, here's how most church people think of sin. Really bad things that people out there do. (laughs) Which, that's, sure, yep, let's go with that. But can I just tell you right now, pride is is a great sin. And it's all full through the church. Uh, Indifference towards Jesus is sin. And boy, has that got people's hearts. Um, Just, you know, walking through the motions. Boy, all these things can just cause you to be blind because you think, I'm good. I'm good. We're cool. Right? Do you come here Sunday after Sunday and you're just so unimpressed with the gospel and with Christ? I don't say this to make you feel bad, although if you need to, go ahead. I I say this because I never want to have a church that just is like cool with being emotionally dead towards the living God. It's, It's why I think so many people just, why would I come to your church? I mean, I've been to Christian... Uh, Christian concerts, and I've been to concerts that are not Christian. I hate to call them secular. Good music's good music, period. Um, And I'll tell you, I've seen more of a worship service at a secular concert because they just lose themselves in the moment than I have seen in the very straight and narrow way that people interact with God. Um, Do you think, oh, I've heard this before, tune out my ears, wonder what the chili's doing. I hope I didn't. I, did I put it on low? <laughs> right? I say chili because we're all having chili after this, right? And we're going to have variations of chili. And chili with meat and chili without meat and some with chicken and yada, yada, yada. Um, those thoughts come into everybody's mind, but you, by God's grace, must block it out. Fix your mind on the living God. Ask God to reveal more of his love and his grace to you. So here's the question for you. Do you need to cry out this morning? And I'm not talking audibly, although if you want, go for it. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Because that's where it begins. But here's the secret that no one wants to tell you. That's where it stays and that's where it ends if you're going to walk with Jesus. You don't grow up from that. And about the time you think you do, you have missed Christ as a centerpiece. There's never a moment in your life you don't need mercy. You might think, I interact with this one guy. He just loves Jesus so much. His quiet times are just amazing. Put him in a room full of people who don't like him. I want to see how he responds then. It's easy to love Jesus in your quiet time. It's really hard to love Jesus when you're surrounded by people who don't love him and don't love you, and you're called to love them. You want to know what your worship looks like in that moment? That's how you know if you're dependent on mercy. The reason we don't cry out for mercy most often is because we create a world that is so comfortable that we just never need it. I just need a little more money and then I won't need mercy. And, And no wonder people just, like Jesus says, you'll know my disciples by how they love one another and they're not impressed. Do you love people that stink? And I mean physically. I was with this one dude. He made my eyes water. It was like I was sitting by ammonia. And I don't say that to be crude or rude, but the thought came into my mind, I need to get out of here. 
And Jesus said, no, you need to be exactly right here because that's what you smell like apart from my grace. I have no desire. I hope you, I, I, I know you people, you have no desire to plant a church other than what we're talking about. And if you do, you should just probably go now. Because you'll spoil the pot <laughs> unless you're willing to change. Unless you're willing to change. And if you're willing to change, guess what that means? Have mercy on me. Oh, change my heart. Help me to see how truly perfect you are. And then I'll realize I'm a wretch that stinks and needs mercy. And when you do, you'll have something to give this world. But until that happens, you just won't. Not only do you need grace to be saved, but you and I need grace to be transformed. I think we just think that grace is for salvation, and then it's, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. No, that's not how anyone in the Bible taught it or understood it. In the Old Testament, the Lord instructed his people, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. There's a phrase that I've heard, and Kevin's used it, and I don't know who to quote to give it to, or I would say high five. Um, but, but grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. Well, we got to get this, right? You cannot seek him and find him with all your heart if you don't just roll up your sleeves and get to it. There's no way to do it. You just can't drift your way there. You got to, God, help me, empower me. And it starts with change my heart and affections. Make me want you. I don't want you. There's my confession. I need you. There's my prayer. That's Christianity. It's Christianity. And, and you don't move on from that. In the New Testament, the Lord Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It's in Matthew 5, 6. Nobody drifts their way to be more like Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you right now, spiritual cataracts can creep, on, it can creep in on any one of us. If you're thinking, this message ain't for me, it's for you. If you're thinking, boy, I wish so-and-so was here, I'm glad you're here. It's not for someone else. It's for you. And I'll tell you right now, I love being around new believers, those who have just come to see the Lord's mercy. They are messy, but they're my kind of messy because they get it right, and then often we just teach them wrong. And they just get off track, and they start to think it's about behavioral modification. You should put down your PG-13 movies. Maybe you should, but really, that's what we're talking about? Teach them Christ, and they'll put down everything that conflicts with him eventually. It might not happen in your timing. Are you okay with that? I'm okay with that. See, spiritual vitality and the fruit of the Spirit will not be produced in the life of a half-hearted follower. It just, it just won't. It just, it just will not. God cultivates the heart, and we cooperate with the work He's doing as saved men and saved women. Helpless as blind Bart was, this dude went for it. He went for it. And he didn't care what people around him thought. Oh, how do we need that message and help? Have mercy on me, Lord. Oh, I would never cry out. Well, you're not desperate enough. It's just not desperate enough. And that is the problem with many dead and dying churches. The reason you don't need Jesus on a cross is because you think you can do it. And if you think you can do it, you don't need to be desperate. You just need to try a little harder. 
When's the last time you cried out for mercy? When's the last? A, a sweet sister, I just heard her say, yesterday. I, are you bored with Christ? I hope not. But if you are, I want to ask, have you actually ever met him? Have you ever met him? Have you ever received Christ? Have you ever said, have mercy on me? Have you received mercy from Jesus Christ? If you haven't, I got good news for you. Jesus loves to answer the cries of the desperate. He loves to show compassion. He loves to give sight. So if, if you can't see, or if you're afraid that spiritual cataracts are starting to come in, I actually was talking to a couple people at a missional community group this week, and guess what? They're saying, I had spiritual cataracts. I've been walking with Jesus for years, and he is slowly removing them. And I'm a little uncomfortable with what I see about my life and these different things. And I'm starting to count the cost of what it means to be a Christ follower. And I'm terrified and I'm excited. Praise God. Praise God. We just never want to offer that, that being a Christ follower, Christian disciple, is just some lukewarm, half-hearted thing and expect the world to be excited about this thing we call gospel. If we're going to be transformed... He has to do it, and we must cooperate, which is the second point. God's gift of mercy for blind beggars, listen, produces a transformed life that is marked by love, marked by love. Listen to the last three verses, Luke 18, 40 through 43. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. So you got blind Bart, he's crying out for mercy. You got the front of the crowd, they're saying, shut up, and Jesus says, Bring him to me. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. In, in the original language, I don't normally drop that on you because I'm not some Greek scholar, but whatever. I read people who are. It literally means you've been saved. Oh, he got, he could already see. But I'll give you physical sight too. Why? Because that's a picture of what's to come in the kingdom when it comes in full. All right? And, and so look what it says though. And immediately he re recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying him. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. That's the area I'm honing in on right now. Have mercy on me. Okay. I have had mercy on you. I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to glorify you. And people will see my life and give you praise. Do you know that that's exactly why you exist? For the city church, we say our mission statement is that we exist to magnify Christ. It's another way of saying to glorify God. Okay? The reason we use that is because we like the M thing. Right? We magnify Jesus. We make disciples. And we plant churches. Here's the M word. That multiply. Just helps me remember it, right? Mercy leads to living a life that you, you don't, I don't magnify Jesus so he'll love me. You love me. My life screams I love you. No one's asking. That guy's different. And I don't mean because he wears, you know, the, the dorky Christian shirts that say Reese's peanut cover cups, king of kings. 
If you have that, throw it away. I mean, come on. I don't know if anyone has those anymore, but it's embarrassing. No one's magnifying Jesus because you're wearing that shirt. Nobody. They'll magnify Christ. You'll magnify Christ when, you, when, when someone says, you know, the reason I don't like Christians is because they're a bunch of hypocrites that are weak. You're right. I am a weak hypocrite. And oh, how I need mercy. Oh, I need mercy. And he has shown it to me. Oh, and I want you to meet him. And I want you to know him. Because I'm, I'm just done trifling with life. I talked to two people who I know and I love, and they have friends that are young, and they died this week. And it was shocking. One had a brain aneurysm. He's like 40. Shocking. I'm just never shocked. I do way more funerals than I do weddings. And, and we're just like, ah, we have all the time in the world. You, just, you don't know. And you don't know how much time your friends and your neighbors have. What is Jesus calling you into? He's saying, lay down your life so you can have life. Quit playing games with me. Quit being bored with me. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me implies be like me. Be like me. Be a little Christ follower. Why? So that you'll magnify your Father in heaven. By being what? Compassionate, merciful, full of grace. And when you fail, and you will fail often, you say, Father, have mercy on me. Please forgive me. And then make it right with the people that you hurt. This is the Jesus stuff. That's what it means. The gospel demands a response. That's what we see here. What what does an appropriate and acceptable response look like? Well, Coming to salvation, the moment of being saved, it means recognizing your sins and your shortcomings and coming to Christ for compassion, for mercy, for forgiveness of sins. It means responding in faith. Trust. Faith. It's not this wishy-washy thing. It's like, no, I've got no hope except Jesus Christ died to save sinners like me. I need you. If you don't show up, I have no chance of living life with God forever. That's faith, right? Jesus is the only way to be saved from Satan's sin and death. He's done it all. I trust him fully, finally, forever. Therefore, all my sins are paid for and all his perfection is mine. I stand fully forgiven, fully justified, righteous in the sight of God. We've hammered that for two weeks. I think we've hammered that for three years. I'm going to keep hammering it. And then we're adding this little piece, which is the fruit of that. And therefore, it means that since Jesus rose from the grave, conquering Satan's sin and death, since he's offered me eternal life with him, I have acknowledged my need for a Savior, not just at salvation, but fully, finally, and forever. The only appropriate response is, ready? Worship. Worship. Well, we just did that. I sung. Well, maybe. Worship's... Not less than singing, it's much more than that. That's how I guess I'd want to say that. We, when we think of worship, mostly in the American church, we think, now's when the concert begins, and I engage in it. I hum, maybe I sing a little. I'm, I'm going to give you a quote from one pastor. Here's how he would describe worship. Worship is our response, both personal and corporate, meaning as a church body, to God for who He is and what He has done expressed in him and by the things we say and the way we live. Ready? Your whole life 
is worship. Everything you do. We have a lot of young moms, more to come. When they change dirty diapers, and dads, by the way, good dads change dirty diapers. Give mom break, right? I sound like a caveman. Give mom break. Um, <laughs> when you do that in a, in a way that's, how do you, how, I'm not going to answer this question for you. Here's your homework. How do you change dirty diapers to the glory of God? Because we're commanded in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do all things in a way that magnify, that glorify God. So therefore, everything you do, there is no sacred and secular, it's all sacred, is worship or not worship. It's either worship or not worship. How do you do that? Here's the secret. And then you can apply this to everything. You do it in such a way that everything magnifies God's grace. And you're like, well, how do you do that? Do I pray while I change the deity? You can. You can. But worship is all about just thanks. It's so much about gratitude. Thank you for this child. Thank you for this dirty diaper. Thank you for this home. Even though they're driving me crazy. Thank you that one day they'll hopefully grow up and leave the house. Thank you one day I'll die and be with you. Thank you one day you'll return and make all things new. But Jesus is just so permeated in everything you think and do. It can't help but affect everything. That doesn't happen by accident. Disciples are made. You, may be, you have to be born again to be a child of God, but discipleship, you're made. And we all are in this thing called making disciples together. So do you think of the church as a place where I go get spiritual goodies, or it's a family that I need to roll up my sleeves and, and really just make disciples? Well, I haven't arrived. None of us have arrived. Quit making excuses. Because that is worship. You know, Blind Bart, I've thought about this guy all week. He had his sight restored. What a beautiful picture of what transformation looks like, by the way. Scholars, here's a quote, say Mark's gospel preserves Bartimaeus' story and name in Mark because he was a stalwart within the Jerusalem church. He followed Jesus. He witnessed the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, the horror of the crucifixion, and the joy of the resurrection. Who knows? I I don't know. Maybe he got to see Jesus ascend into heaven. That would be quite an eyeful, but I don't know. And at the end of the day, I don't care. And you might think, why don't you care? Because it's already happened. I want to know this. Who here is going to be the blind Bart that in 15 years say, Man, I'm so thankful I met that guy or that gal because they introduced me to the one who helped me see. We, we live in a city, and it's, it's not unique to Greensburg, that's blind to the stunning realities of God, to the stunning reality of God's grace. And they will not accidentally stumble upon Jesus. God's plan to reveal his son is the word of God, which is sufficient. The spirit of God, which he is sufficient. The people of God on mission doing the work of God. That's it. That's, that's it. That's, that's what he's called us to do. And guess what? Contrary to popular belief, it's not a horrible life. I thoroughly enjoy it because you know what it looks like for us often it means Ryan Kelly fire up the barbecue and if you think he's got cheap barbecue with like liquid smoke you've never met my friend Ryan Kelly or his barbecue 
He gets up, well, he doesn't even go to bed. He starts at midnight and smokes that thing until like four in the afternoon the next day. And then he just says, come and get some. And, and you think, well, that's, that's Christianity. Oh, that's so much closer than Christianity than what happens on most Sundays. So I'm, I'm asking you, come on in. Lay down whatever it is that's holding you back from pursuing the Lord like that. Now, I don't know what that step looks like for you, but you should ask the holy living God because he will show you. He will help you. And then just, just freely lay it at the altar of God and say, I want to be a living sacrifice for you. Transform me. Transform me. Because, and here's why. Yes, it's true that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen. Hallelujah. You'll never hear me say anything else. But I want you to know that genuine faith is never left alone. Genuine faith is marked, if you live long enough, by a life that looks more like Christ than it did when you first met him. Now, what does that look like? Ready? Love. It's love. And I would love to say more on that topic. And if you keep coming, I will. But not today, because my little timer left. It's gone. Just now. Just left. I was watching it count down. I'm like, oh, i got so many more things I want to say, but God give us time together. And I'll continue to say them. Just know this. Love flows from a heart of gratitude. Love flows from a heart of gratitude. And gratitude comes. Don't check out on me. Love flows from a heart of gratitude. And, and gratitude comes from a sense of need and inability to meet that need. So I'm, I'm just going to say this. If your life is lacking love, there could be a lot of reasons for that. My encouragement is get into a community of people who love Jesus and love you. You'll, you'll see it. It'll start to show itself. It'll start to work itself out once you stop being veneer and fake. And then people are like, wow, you're really messy. Me too. Whew, let me tell you something about Jesus, right? But that's when love starts to flow. You can see it in the home because you can't hide there, right? When that happens, when you start to realize God loves me in all my mess, not just when I was a lost man or a lost woman, but I'm talking this morning, <laughs> right? Not really. Actually, I had a great morning. Um, but that's not always true. I've come here and had to preach a sermon where I just blew up the house emotionally. And now I've got to figure out how I'm going to stand here with integrity and preach the word. Well, the reason is because it's not about me arriving. It's about Jesus transforming me, conforming me into his image. So... So it looks like a, a life of love. So really, here's what I'm asking. And I'm not asking. Jesus is asking. Will you lay down your life, worship Jesus for the sake of love in this community, in this church? So that this city might know the love of God. That's what's being asked. Not just casual attenders. If that's where you're at, that's fine. Don't stay there. But I, I want him. I need him. And I want more people to know him. That's what's being asked. And if you do, you'll follow Jesus, and you can't help but glorify God when you do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for revealing Jesus Christ, who is the embodiment of love. 
in so many ways, but not in the way our culture thinks of love. Love is much more... It's way more deep than that. It's, it's, it's the perfect Son of God, stripped naked, bloodied, beaten, mocked, hanging upon a cross, an instrument of excruciating death in order to save sinful people. It's Jesus Christ taking our sin, being made like sin, becoming an enemy of God for enemies of God so that enemies like us, by God's grace, we can receive forgiveness of sin and be children of God. Oh God, help us. Have mercy on us. And I'm so thankful you do. You have so much mercy on us. We need more. We need more. Lord, continue to transform our hearts and our minds to be a people who gladly and joyfully follow you and glorify you with all our lives. Uh, Jesus, we ask that you would be more famous in this city, and we need much help to do that. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.